Uh, you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, we live in a world uh, that has many industries and many options that are all built around finding life. Uh, and when I say finding life, uh, finding a life worth living, to fill up your days, to find a sense of significance uh, or a sense of meaning or happiness or, or something to make it worthwhile. I think uh, of the many uh, shows on TV that aren't just shows uh, that are even storylines, they're, they're following around uh, celebrities. They're talking about their love lives. They're talking about their houses. They're talking about their cars and, and what they do and what they don't do. And us as pathetic people who have no lives follow them. I say that uh, somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but uh, it's also a reality, isn't it? That somehow that, that's gonna, that their life is going to give our life meaning. And people have done this forever. There's not a, a, a generation that hasn't sought another possession or another uh, thing in their life to somehow give their lives meaning. And this was true in the time of the New Testament as well, that they were filling their days with what they filled their days with. And this is what happened uh, to one city, one group of people in one city, uh, when they came across the message of Jesus. And this is what we're going to look at this morning. If you'd stand in honor of God's Word, I'd like to read to you the first chapter of the book of First Thessalonians. God's Word says this, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in, in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in, in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind re reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. God, we ask Your blessing on Your Word. Guide us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
Last week, we looked at uh, the first part in uh, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy as they were writing uh, a letter to this church that they had visited, to this church that they had established and really planted. And so uh, they're writing a letter back to them, and it's this amazing love letter uh, that Paul is gushing about his reception of them, they, how they received him, and also how much he loves them and how much they showed him love as well. And so uh, we jump back into this passage in chapter uh, chapter 1. Starting at verse 4 th- uh, this morning, uh, I want to tell you that he he acknowledges a few things in verse 4. I call this the pre-message intro, or really the basis for what we're going to talk about today. He says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you. And then he's going to talk about how it came. A couple of things he says here. He calls them brothers. He calls them brothers. And uh, for the most part, uh, you know, some of you may have grown up in, in churches where they refer to everyone as brother or sister. It's very, it's good to go to those kind of churches because you don't have to remember anybody's name. Good to see you, brother. Good to see you, sister. Oh, sister, good to see you at church again, you know. Uh, how's your health, sister? How's your uh, life, brother? How's your job going, brother? You know, you know no one has a name. Uh, uh he brings up something, and uh, it's interesting. I don't really get into the word counting thing, but uh, in my reading this week, uh, Paul uses the, the, this term brothers in his writing 60 times in the New Testament, and 21 of them are to the Thessalonians. Um, and if you look at the writings, uh, the two letters to the church at Thessalonica are pretty short compared to uh, some of other Paul's writings, and uh, so it's he he's constantly referring to them as brothers, and I want to tell you that uh, underlines once again this love relationship that he has with them, that he is connected, and it's not just connected because uh, I like you and you like me, it's connected because of the the message has tied them together that God has pushed them together and brought them together, not because they had the same backgrounds, not because they liked the same music, not because they were the same age, not because of any of that, but because he brought them together in his message and he made them family. Um, I want to tell you, that's an important message for us here. Um, I'm constantly amazed. how many people are struggling in our midst here? How many people are both struggling with life, just sickness and finances and uh, health and uh, family issues and marriages and raising up kids? They're struggling. And, and the question is, do they struggle alone or do they struggle as family? Uh, when someone weeps, does somebody else weep with them? Not because they're experiencing it, because they care. Uh, how do we treat one another? As Do we treat one another as brothers and sisters? Or is it just as uh, people who can do stuff for me? And when you can't do anything for me anymore, I'm done with you. You're just, it's just a business relationship. I want to tell you that God has brought us together to be His people so that we would be family. Uh, 
And that's what the church at Thessalonica was. And so he refers to them as brothers, and he's going to do it over and over again. I'll probably mention it uh, 21 or so times uh, as we go through this study. And brothers loved by God. Uh, brothers loved by God. Uh, he doesn't... Oh, uh, <clears throat> I love the spring here in Bear Valley Springs. I love it. Uh, good allergy season. And, um, I was laughing when... Uh, the weed whacker comment would come. I mean, you just hear it. It's beautiful. You know, it's just beautiful weed whacker. Um, love by God. Love by God. It's interesting. Paul, uh, as he acknowledges these people, he says, uh, they are, they are brothers. There's a relationship man to man and people to people in, in, in the church, but there's also uh, a Godward relationship. Loved by God. And not just that uh, there's a relationship and God says you're okay, but that God loves you. And I want to tell you that, that as we come to God's Word and as we come to living life, this idea that you've been placed in His family in relationship with one another and that He has loved you, that should change your life. That should change your priorities. That should help you to say no to some things and yes to others. It, it, it'll help you sort out what you are a part of and what you're not a part of. Because you have a relationship with His people, because you are loved by Him. And then He brings this theological, this important piece that makes so, so many of us uncomfortable. He says, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you. He has chosen you. And as you think about this, He's talking about their salvation, and He's talking about even His visit uh, of sharing the gospel to them, that what He is pointing back to is this, that God had a plan. That the plan was that Paul would come with Silvanus and then later Timothy, that they would come and they would share a message, that it would be his message, and that it was part of God finding them and grabbing them and choosing them to be his very own. And this makes all the difference in the world. And I want to tell you that uh, we struggle with this idea of, did I choose God or did he choose me? Uh, in this passage, it's not talking about you. It's talking about him choosing you. There's a response. We're going to get to that uh, even in this passage. But know this, that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's because God's loving intention in your life that He would come and call you and that He would grab you out of the mess that you're in and the things that you would chase after to be His very own. Chosen by Him. And so we see in this uh, verse 4 here, we see this manward and Godward relationship that the church at Thessalonica, those people who had responded, that they are in. And that this is his description. He says, so you're saved. So you're part of his family. So that you're loved by God. Let me explain how this comes out. And I just say it this way, proofs of genuine faith. We're going to go through seven of them 
this morning and just kind of go through this passage and pick out things that happened to this group of people. And it shows that God's doing a work in their life. It's, it's proof, if you will. It's evidence that God has done a work in their life. And I want to, for you this morning, it might be something for you to think through what's going on in my life. Are these things evident in my life? And to reveal to yourself whether you're truly in the faith or not. I, I want to tell you, this isn't a checklist. It's not a degree. It's not something where you go, oh, if I only got six out of seven or five out of seven. What, what's passing grade on this one? Uh, some of you are really into grades. We're coming to the end of the school year. You know, rough time. Um, but I, I want to tell you that this, this happened to those Thessalonians, those people who... Uh, it may not be exactly the same here, but these are, are things that you could point to in their lives that show for certain that this wasn't a work of them, it was a work of God. And I think that as we look in our own lives as well, you can point out things as well as you know you've trusted in Him. You go, yeah, He did that. I, I wouldn't have done that. He changed me from the inside. And so as we look at God's Word, this is what we'll see this morning. In verse 4, um, brothers, loved by God that He has chosen you. Verse 5, because our gospel came to you not only in word. They heard a different message. That's my first point. They heard a different message. Different message. And I, I talked to you earlier that our world and their world as well, they were chasing after different things. You know what? Chances are there were partiers. There were partiers in, in the, the town of Thessalonica. There were people that were trying to hang on to their youth. There were people trying to continue to fill their lives with pleasure. And as they did, they chased after whatever. And they said, a little bit more of this. This is what we do. This is what fills our days. This alcohol, this, this sensuality, this something to fill our days. And, and when we do that, we feel like we're truly living. And in the midst of a life like that, you know what they heard? They heard a different message. Some would say, well, it's all about having money. It's all about partying. It's all about uh, sensuality. It's all about... Uh, prestige or pride. Uh, it's all about having a great job and being respected. Uh, there, there's those messages. And in the midst of living that way, guess what? They heard a different message. Different one. The different message it came from Paul and Silas and then later Timothy. And what was it? You could turn over if you wanted to to Acts chapter 17. You don't have to, but it's a great passage. And it's, it's, it's the one where uh, they are visiting Thessalonica. And it says some things. I'll just summarize some of the things that it says about their meeting there. It, it says in Acts chapter 17 that they reasoned from the Scripture. As Paul and Silvanus or Silas came, they reasoned from the Scripture that they took uh, the pieces of Scripture that they had at that time and they showed them, they showed them what it said and they showed them the message of God. Um, hopefully that's what we're doing here this morning. Taking the scripture and reasoning with you. We're not just saying, believe me. We're pointing to something greater than the preacher. 
were pointing to the message of God. There was a different message. It says they reasoned from the Scripture. And they spoke of Jesus who died and rose again. Died and rose again. We, we celebrated that at Easter time, right? Where we celebrated His death and His resurrection. That it, this message all hinges on the person of Jesus Christ. It's not on being good. Um, so, sometimes we get all confused and we want to say, well, I'm going to be a good person. I've been a bad person. I've done these bad things. Now I'm going to be a good person and everything's going to be okay. That is not the gospel. It's not the gospel. The gospel is based upon the work of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. And that's what they shared with them. That's what Paul and, and Silas shared. He spoke of him being uh, the Savior, the Messiah, the Savior, the Messiah. The idea of the Savior Messiah is being the one who was, uh, was spoken of in the Scriptures in prior times. Speaking of the Messiah that was to come. And so they, they opened up the Scriptures and they pointed uh, to Jesus died and re re resurrected. And this was the message connected uh, from all of time. And then it says this. Uh, they didn't, uh, some accepted and others did not. Many, it says many accepted, but others did not. And it says this, uh, they were talking bad about them. And it sp spoke of Paul and Silas and the others too. And it says, get rid of these guys. You know why? Because they're turning the world upside down. That's what kind of message it was. A message that turns the world upside down. And I'll just say it this way. The first world it turns upside down is you, is you. You know, as you share your testimony, as you share uh, your life before, your, your testimony goes like this. I did whatever I wanted. I, I sought for things that would somehow fulfill me. And I... I was doing and I was grabbing and I was selfishly and in pride. I was going about doing whatever I wanted to do. And then I heard the message of Jesus. And it turned my world upside down. It, it, it changed the way I thought about things. And I want to tell you, today, this very day, some of you are empty inside. You're empty. You're, you're seeking after these things. You're, you're looking for the next party. You're you're up to your eyeballs and sin and sins. Uh, rarely it's just one, right? And I, and I want to say, isn't it, aren't you tired of it? There's a better message for you. It's called the gospel, the good news. It's about Jesus. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And it will turn your world upside down. As we look at this passage, we see um, that as Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, not in Acts, but in, he says it was a powerful message to you. It was a powerful message. There was something powerful that God was doing in the hearing of that message. It wasn't just like another message. It was, it was a powerful message. It was a message of conviction. As, as they heard it, they realized that Paul wasn't saying, hey, you know, I got, I got a different way of life for you. It might be good for you. You know, it's kind of the three tips to uh, a better life here in the great city of Thessalonica. A better life for you today. I want to tell you, that's not what he, he was preaching. 
he was preaching conviction. He was saying, this is the only way. And lastly, he, he connects it to the Holy Spirit, the idea that there was something special going on, that God was at work, the Holy Spirit was at work in them. And he points them back and he says, remember, remember when you heard the message? Things were going on that weren't man-made. The message was different. The message was different. It was a powerful message. It was a message of conviction. It was a message that the Holy Spirit was deeply involved in as it was shared. So you have a different message. And then it, it, it goes on to talk about uh, how, what happened as a result of this message. In the middle of verse 5, it says, you, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us in the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. I want to title the second point, the original transformers. As a guy who does the surprise box, you see a lot of transformers, right? A lot of transformers. And if you know what a transformer is, it's something that looks like something. It's a car or a man or something. And then it changes to be something totally different. It's transformed. And what happened as a result of this message that they received it, and as they received it, it changed them. It changed them. This message is something that will change somebody. He, he goes on to talk about what kind of people, as he shared about what kind of people they were. It's interesting. Uh, some of you are very skeptical of, of, of a sales pitch, right? That you always have your guard up. Uh, we don't have a lot of people out here in Bear Valley knocking on your door, but most of you have the, the line ready, right? Sorry, we're not interested. Boom. You know, uh, there's a rhythm to it. You open the door and then you start moving it like this as you're finishing your, your sentence. Sorry, we're not interested. Bam! You know, I get that last one. Bad timing. Um, some of you are very skeptical, and I, I want to tell you that when it comes to your life, you should be. And undoubtedly, the people of Thessalonica, who had tried many different things, they probably too were skeptical. But what kind of reception did they have of Paul, Silas, Timothy? It was different. Why? Because God was at work in it. They, they received them. So much so that in verse 6, it says, and you became imitators of us. It wasn't just that they accepted the message, but they, they saw in Paul and Silas and Timothy, they say, these are people that we should be like. They were thirsty for it. They were thirsty for the message, but they were thirsty for people to imitate. I want to tell you that uh, as you come to know Christ, you should find people to imitate. And you should be thirsty for this. I, I know that being here in the United States, one of the things that we pride ourselves in is being individuals, doing it our own way. I, I want to tell you, if you connect that back to your previous life, you were doing it your own way back then. How'd that work out for you? 
the emptiness that it brought, the, the bad decisions, the way you treated people. It was a bad deal. So you know what you need to do now is find someone to imitate. I want to tell you, uh, this is crucial right now. This is crucial right now. You know why? Because of who you are. You say, well, who am I? I don't know who you are, but are there implications to your life right now? Yeah, there are. If you're a dad here today, do you think it matters whether you imitate godly men and the Lord himself or if you just do the things the way you used to do them? Are there implications? Yeah, there are. Because every sin that you commit, everything that you involve yourself in, guess what? It impacts your wife. It impacts your children. Your, your, your kids are taking notes, mental notes, and they're saying, oh, this is what dad did. This is the way I'm going to live. When I get my, you know, this is what dad did, this is what I'm going to do. There are implications. If you're a mom, that's true for you as well, right? If you're a grandmother or a grandfather, some of you are saying, I'm, I'm doing good here. I'm single. There's no implications to my life. I want to tell you, you're, you're in the most dangerous place of all because you're starting to set these things up. You're, you're going to pick someone to be with the rest of your life. And I want to tell you, if you base that on sin, if you base that on sin, your own selfish desires, I want to tell you, it sets up a course of a mess for the years to come. I want to tell you, your life has implications. And so for you to choose someone and for you to be thirsty to follow after someone who's imitating the Lord, this is for you. And it's critical that you do now. It says imitators of them and then of the Lord. Now, why does it say them? You know why? Because when you hear the message of the gospel and you've never seen it before and you go, I don't know how this works. And so you want people, but ultimately you're following after the Lord. And so as we read the Gospels and you hear of what Jesus did, you want to follow in His footsteps. Like the Lord. Like the Lord. Number three. I know you're getting nervous because I keep adding more. There's seven of them this morning, so sorry. Uh, no conscience from that pastor. Um as you look down at God's word, it, it says something in, in verse 6 that, that's important for us to highlight. Imitators of us and of the Lord, for you receive the word in much affliction. Much affliction. I, I, I want to tell you that these people, these people, they accepted the gospel message at personal cost. Personal cost. Write that down. Personal cost. And you say, well, what does that mean? It wasn't something that was a good deal. Like they, it cost them something. If you, you could look back to uh, Acts chapter 16, and you saw this in Paul and Silas's life as well. They got thrown into uh, prison in Philippi. Uh, they were beaten. They were roughed up by the crowds and then thrown into prison. And why? Because they were following the Lord. I want to tell you that it might, it might cost you. There might be a huge personal cost for you to follow Christ. But I, I want to tell you this, too. He was pointing it out. Paul was pointing it out that for the Thessalonians, 
came to them at personal cost too. They followed them in that personal cost. And I want to tell you, that's just doing the math problem here. Some of you like math, right? It's black and white. It's straightforward. It's not like writing or something like that or literature. What do you think the author was trying to say? If you wanted me to know what he was trying to say, he would have wrote it a lot clearer. Math is great, right? I want to tell you, for the Thessalonians, it was just a math problem. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? I had this life, and and, and this morning, maybe this is for you. This is the life that I have. I'm chasing after sensuality. I'm chasing after the feeling of goodness. I'm chasing after popularity. I'm chasing after uh, an accomplishment. I'm chasing after these things, and I still feel empty. Is it worth more to have this or to have Christ? It's a math problem. And so even if it costs them, even if it costs them, in much affliction, they accepted. They knew that it was going to cost them, and they saw it in other people, and so they said, I'll, I'll be in on that. Why? Because it's worth it. It's worth following Christ. It's worth accepting His good news of His gospel at personal cost. And then it, it also, I know I'm breaking them up pretty quick here, but um, it says, with joy of the Holy Spirit, with joy of the Holy Spirit, that because of the work of God, because of the work of God, because the Holy Spirit is involved in the life of the believer, guess what? Even at personal cost, there's joy. There's joy. We, we, we like to say it like this. We like to say, well, if everything's good in my life, I'll be happy. I'll have joy when the sun's out. I'll have joy when I have money. I have joy when I'm feeling healthy. I, I have joy. And we, we list, when everything's going to be perfect, then we'll be joyful. I want to tell you, nothing's ever perfect, right? And so you've got to ask the question, is it worth it? And what happens in the life of the believer that even in difficult times, even in the midst of affliction, there's joy. But it doesn't come from the situation. It comes from the Holy Spirit. The work of God in your life. The work of God in your heart and the work of God in the midst of difficulty. Some of us are chasing after the, the idea that everything's going to be all right. I want to tell you, chase after the Lord and He'll make everything all right. He'll give you joy in the midst of whatever's going on. Number five, verse seven. The next generation transformers. So that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Do you, do you get this? So they came. Paul came to them. They heard the gospel changed their life, and guess what? Now they were imitating Paul, uh, Silas, Timothy. Now they became the ones who were the example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And as that is, Macedonia and Achaia, you can look at one of those little maps at the end of your Bibles that you never look at. Um, Macedonia was the area or the region where they were, uh, where the uh, city of Thessalonica was a part of. And Achaia was the place that Paul was probably writing from. And what he's saying is, you became examples to believers both there and here, right? Where I am and where you are. Both places, you became examples. 
And I want to tell you that believers are always looking for this. They're always looking for other examples. We go on to uh, number six, as you go to verse eight, it says, for the word of the Lord sounded forth from you from Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we have no need to say anything for they themselves report concerning us what kind reception we had among you. I call this gospel ripple effects. Is, and this is what happens. I love this passage, how it goes. Paul shared the message. They accepted the message. Uh, they imitated Paul. And then they became ones that were a testimony to be imitated, to be watched. And in their area, and also the areas around there. But then it says, and, and everywhere, and everywhere. It's the gospel ripple effects. It's this idea that our testimony goes out from here and it, it keeps going out in waves. And as even as we send our kids out, they go out in waves and there's supposed to be a testimony that goes out there and it goes out and it continues on so that there is a, a message. And it, the, the, the word here is sounding forth. It's like a trumpet blast. The message is blasting forth from here. You know why? Not because they have big mouths. Not because they're really, they have a lot of charisma and, and people like them and they're loud and proud. It's not that. It's their lives that are sounding forth from here. And it's making this ripple effect of the gospel as it goes out from there. Number seven, the transformation news flash. Some of you look at your news online, and when there's something important, it just gives you a couple of lines at the top. It's supposed to be something different. Something is happening, and here it is. It, it's just a summary to get you to look at more. But this is, this is the news flash of what happened. The end of verse 9. This is the message that had gone out from there, the report of what had happened. It says, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. What was the, the news flash that came out of their life? The first thing was this, that they turned to God. They turned to God. They were living their life. They were doing whatever they were doing. They were chasing after whatever they were chasing after. And at that moment in time, they heard a new message and they turned to God. They turned to Him. Uh, very important what I'm going to say next. They turned to God. Well, what's the second thing? What does it say? Turn to God from idols, right? From idols. Some of us get this backwards. You get it backwards. You say, you know, um, I'm going to clean up my life. I'm going to turn away from the things that I'm doing. The, I'm going to quit chasing after the things that I'm chasing after. And then turn to God. I want to tell you, you turn to God first, and He turns you away from those idols. God first. You can't clean up yourself, by the way. You're too big of a mess. We are too big of a mess. We're too big of a mess, and so as we... As we turn to God, we realize that His message is true and uh, His gospel is good and, and we accept it. And then He works out those idols out of our life. He, he takes care of them. He, he changes our heart to face it. And I want to tell you, that's an ongoing process. 
I want to tell you that the, the idols in our life. So they had idols back in these days, real idols, like carved in stone. You know, uh, many were Greeks that were in this area. And so they were following Zeus and Apollo and all those other ones. Right. They had idols. I want to tell you, we don't usually have idols like that in the United States. but We have other things, too. We have other things. Money. For some of you, it's alcohol. Some of you, it's alcohol. You say, well, I, I just drink in moderation. I'm an adult and everything. If you're acting like a teenager, if you're acting like a teenager, if you can't go without your wine or your beer, I want to tell you, that's a problem. It's an idol. Some of you, it's sensuality. And you, you say, well, I'm just watching movies. I'm just checking out with, I want to tell you, if it leads, if it leads you to lust, it's wrong. It's an idol. Get rid of it. And, and not get rid of it in the sense of, I'm going to really impress God, but you now worship, you're a worshiper of God. You're not a worshiper of these other things. Turn to God. Turn away from idols. And not just that. Uh, it's not just uh, to God from idols, but what do we do now with this life to serve the living and true God? What is your life now for? It's to serve Him. And, and for you to think that through, and that, that's what happened. You know, you know what those people in Thessalonica had to do? How do I serve God in my marriage? How do I serve God as I raise my kids? How do I serve God as I go to my work? How do I serve God as I'm in the market? How do I serve God in my home as I'm, how do I do? And they're working it out. Why? Because the old life was just serving themselves, chasing after all kinds of things. But now it's different. And so turning to God and abandoning these idols, it, it, it was turned their life upside down, right? It flipped it upside down so that now they were serving the, the living and true God as opposed to the dead and false God gods that they were chasing before he gives us a key that we're going to get into we sang about it in a couple of different songs today maybe two or three that is is important for us to remember that the gospel is not just for today it's not just so that you can have a great life today in fact there's a, a very key element that the for believers it stays in our mind and heart all the time and he ties up this section with this, and he says uh, in verse 10, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. For us as believers, there, there's this, you know, we, we have our one eye right here, but we have one eye faced towards heaven, waiting for his return. Waiting for his return. For my death or his return both of which accomplish uh, an end of this life, this, this life being temporary, that we wait for a Savior. We wait for our Savior. We wait for the one who has changed us. And, and not just changed us, but saved us from the wrath that is to come. For the believer, there's a couple of things we keep in mind there. First of all, we escaped his anger, his wrath. That our sins deserved His anger, His wrath. And, and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there's this sense of, whew, 
a, a constant sense of I, life could have been different for me. My eternity could have been different. But because of his choosing of me, because of the work that God did in me, I escaped the wrath. And so I wait. And so I wait. And so I live my life down here, looking forward, looking forward to the time where the Lord will return. I look forward to it. I wait for it. I hope it's today. Hope it's today. Even if you have a big day planned, you should hope for it to be today. Even if, you know, you have your daughter's wedding coming up and you got a pretty dress for that, or maybe you, you're excited for, uh, you know, uh, a grandkid's birthday party or something like that, you say, even today, it would be great even if it cut that short. It'd be better than all that I can experience down here. Three things. Start to finish. Start to finish. It's God's work. Start to finish, this is God's work. Your life in Him is start to finish His work. As you look at that, you realize that for the Thessalonians, that God chose them. He sent them a messenger. His Holy Spirit did the work and is, remains doing the work to root out the... It was a work of God in them, start to finish. Secondly, there's proof. There's proof. Uh when God transforms a life, things happen, things change that are explained because of the message. So there's proof. And thirdly, I, I want to tell you this. For living in Christ, for us, it's humble, dependent submission. Humble, dependent submission. I, I hope you saw, hope you saw that their lives, their selfish lives that they had before, they changed. And, and I'm sure that was a challenge for them. I'm sure that as they looked at their life, they said, well, you know, I'm so used to living this way. I'm so used to doing this. Guess what? It's a humble submission that says, Lord, whatever you want. You want the idols? You got the idols. They're gone. Hey, you want me to go and to share? You want me to be changed? You want me to now be a billboard for you? I'm, I'm there. Humble submission for us as believers. This is the way we live, and this is the way uh, he, what he has changed us for. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning, the blessing of this time. God, I ask that you would just continue uh, to work us through this great book, that it would change us. God, I, I want us to be a church like the church at Thessalonica, that from here, uh, your trumpet blast goes out from here, not because we're loudmouths, but because you've changed our lives and everybody can see it. God, do your work in us. Do your work in your church. Call even people today uh, that are struggling to you. God, we thank you in Jesus' name.